our service on this Remembrance Sunday, we reflected a little bit with gratitude on those who sacrificed their lives in at least two of the biggest events of the 20th century, First World War, Second World War. And while there is a degree of ambivalence, because as, as, as Christians, we surely hate all war. And particularly in recent times, it's very hard to put your finger on any war that you would say is a just war. But having said that, we should never minimize the sacrifice of those who gave their lives in order for us to enjoy the levels of freedom we do here in Britain. The power of sacrifice is at the very heart of our gospel. Jesus said that he gives his life for his friends. And the sacrifice of Jesus, the cross, opens the door to all the blessings of God. And I'm challenged in this series on the Lordship of Jesus over the concept and experience of sacrifice in my own life. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his ministry, will come to this, described his life as a, as a libation offering. It's part of the Jewish tradition, a drink offering. In other words, the best description he had for his ministry was that he was pouring out his life on the altar of sacrificial service of others. And here in Kensington Temple, we are a discipleship church. Above everything else, we want you to be a disciple of Jesus in a meaningful way, taking up your cross and following Him. Not because we are sadistic or we wish to lose members by teaching tough messages, but because we know that on the other side of the cross lies the greatest blessing you could ever imagine, for after crucifixion comes resurrection. And I want to show you how this principle works, especially through the story of the life of a man who is our daddy, the father of the faithful, good old father Abraham. And it reads in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through to verse 19, tells of the story of the sacrifice he was called to make, to sacrifice his only son. And how God worked and how that becomes a picture of Christ in his substitute sacrifice for the sins of the world. And also the pattern for us as we live day by day. So let's read the story. It's a long reading. Verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham said, 
what? You must be joking. Is that really you speaking, Lord? Never would I do such a terrible thing. Have I? Oh, oh. Let's see what it really says. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they rose together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all who dwell therein. This statement stands absolutely above every other consideration when we think about our life What's happening to us, our circumstances, where we are, where we live, what are our hopes, what are our dreams, what are our ambitions, what are our problems. Above all of these things stands this revelation that God is the Lord of all the earth. He is the creator of all things. 
And as the creator, he owns all things. There is nothing in this universe that does not already belong to God. He directs all things and he disposes of all things. Now this lordship of God over all things somehow is quite hard for us to imagine. Because we can understand that God being God is in control. But we look at the world and we say, well, if he's in control, why is all this happening? And there's so many things that we will truly say and come to God and pray about which have gone so far wrong. And yet God is still in charge, still in control. So what is happening here? God is saying that he is going to establish his kingdom in the visible realm so that that which is true in the invisible spiritual realm shall be seen manifested in this visible realm. That's the coming of his kingdom. And the kingdom has already come and it is yet coming and shall still come in the person of Jesus Christ. We're kind of beginning to gear up towards Christmas where we celebrate the coming of the Christ child into this world. And we know that his purpose was more than just to be born and to live. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God and demonstrate in his person the powers of the kingdom. And when he showed up, he said, this is the kingdom of God. I am the Messiah. This is the kingdom of God. And this is what happens when the king is around. People get saved. People get healed. People get taught and released and set free. And the kingdom of joy and peace and righteousness flows out of his person. But in order for that to be spread right across the whole earth, Jesus himself had to become a seed sown into the ground, give his life as a sacrifice so that out of the resurrection could come manifestations, multiplication of the manifestations of God. And the Bible declares that when Jesus Christ was raised again from the dead, God took him and sat him at his right hand, the place of honor, the executive authority of the universe, the governing authority of the universe was handed from the Father to the Son. And the Son, in loving obedience to the Father, said, I take it and I'm going to bring everything and make them a footstool for your feet so that one day I will hand it back to you, Father. Wonderful relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So we have these statements, Acts 2.36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He always was Lord. He always is Christ. But now God says, I have shown him to you all openly who he is in the resurrection. Now you know that Jesus is the Christ. Now you know that Jesus is the Lord. I have made him that in front of you all. Although he always was Lord and Christ, but now he is manifested to all as Lord and Christ. And again in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through to verse 23, we have the same story of Christ having died, being raised again from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father by the power of God. And it says, verse 19, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the age which is to come. And he, God the Father, put all things under his, God the Son, feet. 
and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. David Wellington, in his teaching on Wednesdays, will take you through that in detail. But let me summarize it. What it is is this, as God says, my kingdom rules over all things. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all things. But that kingdom is not seen. It's not manifested in the way we, it needs to be. So the Father took that ruling authority and through the death and resurrection handed it to the Son. So now Jesus is the executive governing authority on behalf of the Father. And that wonderful thing is still not visible. So he says, this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to take his lordship, his headship, and give it to you as the church of Jesus Christ. So the first sphere of the manifestation of the lordship of Christ, through which others can look at and see that Jesus is Lord, is your life and my life. When we look at the society today, I spent the last week teaching in our Bible school in Marseille, visited a, 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 a museum and saw so much anti-God stuff displayed, so much mind-bending, so much propaganda concerning the vision and values of our secular, godless age, throwing out the revelation of the Word of God. And I'm angry, and I say, God, what is so wrong with these people? And he says, it's not them, it's you. Why? Because if they don't see that Jesus is Lord, it's because we're not showing it. Our lives should be so surrendered to the Lordship of Christ that they will see his kingdom manifested in us and in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we behave, not through showy acts of spirituality, but just by being who we are in Christ, surrendered, yielded as living sacrifices on the altar of sacrifice. In that can come a manifestation of the revelation of the power of God. So that's the background of this teaching on sacrifice, the power of sacrifice. And I think we are never more tested than when God asks us to sacrifice, especially to sacrifice that which is near and dear to our heart. The very thing we hold on to the most is what God wants us to lay down. That's why God dealt with Abraham in this threefold test of faith. It was a real test of faith because Abraham by now had begun to be so possessive of this inheritance in the person of this young man, Isaac. In Jewish tradition, he's not a little boy, Jewish tradition, he's a teenager, 12, 13, but in my reckoning, he is 30 years of age. You know, and I do the calculations, got a, some room for discussion there. But certainly, he, he's been around on the planet quite some time. And if you remember the years that went by and Abraham tried to fulfill the promise, God said, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed and in your seed shall all the world be blessed. And he had no seed. So he said, I'm going to take it into my own hands. First of all, he looked at his chief steward. His, he said, okay, well, you're going to inherit everything. And God said, no, not Eliezer, not him. So he took his, his uh, wife's servant girl, Hagar, had a child through him, Ishmael, uh-huh, and we're still suffering from that today. Thank you very much, Daddy Abraham. 
uh, and that was the acts of the flesh, trying to fulfill God's purpose his own way. And uh, then finally, God said, no, out of your own body and out of Sarah shall come the seed. And finally it happened, and he was so fulfilled, he was so joyful. That little baby, he was 99 years of age or more, you can just imagine it. You know, walking frame in one hand, cradle in the other. And there he was, just having, a, and he, his delight was in his son. His son, he was absolutely the dream of all his years. And more than that, there was a spiritual point to it all. This is not just for me. This is for the world. God's promises in the son, you're no ordinary child. You are the son of promise. God's going to take you, son, and bless you, and it's amazing. And in one of these speeches, God spoke to him and said, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and go and kill him on the mountain where I will show you. It was a test. It was a test. And the place was actually corresponds very closely geographically to where the place Jesus was crucified. And we know that Abraham could have had a very long theological discussion with God and said, God, I don't understand you because you are not for human sacrifice. I mean, it's abhorrent. Nothing in Jewish tradition has anything to do with human sacrifice. In fact, it was the pagan traditions. God, have you gone all pagan on us now? Now, there's only one exception. God has only ever looked for a man to be sacrificed, and that's at the cross. So we got to know straight away that Abraham is leaping the millennia by this revelation of faith. And he is about to enact something that will give us the clearest Old Testament example of the coming of Christ to be the substitute sacrifice for the sins of the world, not a third party. Not God judging somebody else instead of you, but God in the person of Christ coming himself to be the substitute sacrifice. We know the story of how the, the angel stopped Abraham from sacrificing, and then the lamb was, ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac. There's substitutionary sacrifice. That is how we are saved. God places on Christ the judgment that you and I were due. He substituted himself. He stood in the place of sinners so that as we now believe in him, we can be set free from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and one day even from the very presence of sin itself because we are created to live in the new heavens and the new earth, where, which is the home of righteousness. All of that is here. But that's the outcome of a man who chose to believe God and obey God. Let's walk with him through these tests. The first test of faith was the test of possession. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness belongs to God. There isn't anything that does not belong to God. Not one molecule of this universe belongs to anyone else other than God. He created all things. All things were made by him and for him. And so we own nothing. We own nothing. It's all stewardship. And I kind of envision it like this. Suppose one, one morning I wake up. Now that's not unusual. All right. But I wake up feeling spiritual. Now, that is unusual. 
But this morning, this unusual morning, I wake up and I'm feeling so spiritual. And I say, I am going to really have a good talk to my heavenly father. And I'm going to just be on my best behavior. And so I say, father, good morning. And I hear, good morning, Colin. Father, what can I do for you today? I have something to ask you. Yes, Lord, what's that? I want you to sacrifice. What? I want you to give me your Jaguar car. But Lord, do you really need that mode of transport? <laughs> Give it to me. Yes, Lord. Finished? I'm not finished. <laughs> I want your house. My house, Lord. But Lord, you've had a house. Solomon built you a house. I couldn't do that. And my house isn't as good as Solomon's house. And Solomon said, not even give me your house. Okay. Is that it? No. What are you wearing on your hand? Oh, uh, this is a jawbone up bracelet, Lord. I'm glad you talked to me about it because actually with this, I've been able to lose nine kilos. Surely you don't want that. You don't need to lose weight, are you? Give it to me. <laughs> what are you hiding in the other hand? Oh, uh, nothing, Lord. Don't lie to me. <laughs> Show me. It's a watch. It's no ordinary watch. Is this not the watch that you have dreamed for all your life and saved for and bought only this summer to celebrate your 60th birthday? Yes, Lord. How did you know that? It's a Targ Monaco watch. Yes, Lord. But surely you don't need a watch. <laughs> the times are in your... Oh. I'm not going to throw this one out. What are, what are you wearing? Yes, that. It's a Koopal's jacket, Lord. Give it to me. Ne vous inquiétez pas, on s'arrête là. I said, don't worry, we're not going any further. So this interview proceeds, and after the coat comes, I want your family. You're my family. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. I want your job. You can have that. No, no, no. <laughs> and by the end of this time, I am left with nothing. So I say, oh, God. What's the matter now? 
How am I going to get about town? You can borrow my car. Oh, thank you, Lord. It's lovely. Where am I going to live? You can live in my house. Thank you, Lord. That's great. And um, the other things? You can use them also. So you get it. <laughs> That's the ownership test. Everything we have belongs to him. And we hold it as trustees for the sake of the kingdom of God. Which means we use it for Him, for His glory. We possess nothing. Amen? So Abraham had to give over ownership. You know, this is not easy. Because often what we hold too tightly is what we're really trusting in. But what we're prepared to let down, let, let, let go and lay down shows that we're trusting in God. What is it about your life God is saying, put on the altar today and trust me with the outcome? Because only in the hands of God will it be fruitful and productive. That's for sure. What you hold on to, he cannot use. What you surrender, he can use. What you give away, he can multiply. Sacrifice is about relinquishing personal ownership of what is precious to you and trusting God with the outcome. That's the possession test. But there was another test. The test of his faith was also a control test. Think about it. What you own, you exercise your rights over. What you own, you control. But if we understand that we are stewards and we are faithful with the resources God has given us, then we relinquish control and hand it over to God. And that which is yielded to Him is in, in His hands to direct and dispense and disperse and use as he wills. Now, we are stewards. We must be faithful with the resources he's given to us. But therein lies a kind of trap. Because it doesn't belong to us. But we are responsible for how we use it. So when we try to guard and protect that which is precious, we can become controlling and squeeze out the influences of the Holy Spirit. Shall I give you some examples? Our children. Now we know that one of the most sacred trusts of all 
is how we nurture, develop, and bring up our children. And we have parental responsibility. And we are responsible and accountable for how we do that. And when we take it seriously, God loves that. But there's such a thin line between stewardship and control. And at the end of the day, we can even make an idol out of our children, especially their outcome. Because as Christian men and women, we want to see our children be a good testimony to our parenthood. So people would look at our children and say, trophies and examples of your excellent nurturing parental influence. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you know, at the end of the day, you cannot control the outcome. All you can do is be a good parent, do what God calls you to do. But at the end of the day, they are best in the hands of God and not your hands. Who am I speaking to here today? I sense a wave of empathic response from you, many of you, and there therefore must be people who are struggling with this very issue. And that's outside of your control. You have all the responsibility, but outside of your control, you could lock them up for a lifetime and still not get the results that you are looking for. It is time to give them into the hands of Jesus. That's why we dedicate babies. Baptism for us in our understanding of Scripture is for believers only. So it's on the confession of faith. It's believers' baptism. So children, babies, aren't believers in their own right. So what do we do? We dedicate them, and that's so significant. We hand them over to the Lord. Listen, I'm still speaking to at least one person here. Listen to me. Did you not dedicate your child, your children to the Lord at birth? The answer is yes, I know it. God says, leave them with me. You keep praying. You keep doing everything you need to do as a parent, but watch me work. Yield them into my hands. Something else. Believing women married to unbelieving men. God bless you. But stop trying to control him. You will never be able to nag him into the kingdom. Stop going every time he lights up a cigarette. Just tell him, smoke outside, please. When we, when we are trying to control things, we mess it up every time. We mess it up every time. Get your Fleshly hands off. Let Holy Ghost hands take over. Stop trying to work it out. 
in your own energy. The Bible says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let God's spirit loose. And the only way to do that is to yield it to the Lord and give it to him. Abraham learned the lesson that when he tried to control God's promise, it didn't work. He messed it up. But the moment you give it to God, it begins to work. And this is very difficult. It's all very well to say, well, this house or this apartment, I'm going to share it with God's people. I'm going to be generous. But when it comes to a promise that God has given you, a vision and a dream that God has given you, and all your hopes and aspirations spiritually from God are there in that ministry, in that vision, in that occupation, in that position, and there you can soon start to try to control it and take it and use it in a way according to your fleshly wisdom. And when you do that, you lock out the Holy Spirit. But when you say, no, Lord, I'm going to be patient. There is a time for every vision. And I think we are most idolatrous at the points we don't realize we are. So if somebody says, you know, that car is an idol, give it away. You would say, well, all right, that's what you think. But when it comes to your ministry, it comes to your spiritual gift, when it comes to the vision that God has given you, you're not going to give that away. You're not going to lay that down because I've got to make it work. So many people make a mistake. They begin to tie into this desire to hold tightly this strings attached control. And once Abraham had yielded up his son, he was never, ever, ever going to be under his personal control. It was in the hands of God. So it's most difficult when the sacrifice has to do with a dream or a vision. And in spiritual things, we can become more idolatrous than even with material things. I've seen people who are so full of themselves, so full of their ministry, so full of their vision, so full of their calling, so full of, it's basically self. And in their mind, they're thinking, I'm guarding what God has given to me. God has made me this. And, 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 and they become so brittle. In the way they, they do it. You can't touch, you can't even, you can't even approach them. You can't even correct them. You can't even develop them. You can't say anything to them. This is from God. This is mine. It's not yours. I got this from the Holy Spirit. Who are you to tell me? A couple of examples. Maybe the example of, of um, having a ministry to a specific group. There's one, one man that comes to my mind, he has a tremendous vision for a nation in the world, Nepal. And he's gone and he's done so much, but that's all he will talk about. All he will talk about is Nepal, Nepal, Nepal. He said, well, that's good because that's his vision. Yes, but we are the body of Christ. We might also like to say, what's God saying to you? Let me share with you my vision. We'll pray and talk to you. We are not in isolation here. And when you become so protective and so defensive about your position, your ministry, and I won't even go to the most painful one, and that's 
I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. One man, I said, what should you develop? I'm a senior pastor, just like you. I said, well, I'm not actually. I do have pastoral gifting, but my ministry is, is not really in that direction. Oh, so you're not a pastor? Oh, traditional church language, you see, so you just kind of give up. And I said, well, tell me, so you're a senior pastor. How many on your staff? Oh, me and my wife. So you're senior to her? Yes, definitely. <laughs> senior? If they're senior, there must be junior. But there's no junior. It's like a man saying, well, I'm a bishop. Well, how many churches are you taking care of? None. You're a bishop of what? I'm a bishop of my ministry. You don't know the word. This is title. This is pride. This is about you holding on to something that God has given you. And it will never flourish until you give it back to him. And say, I sacrifice this. Take it over, Lord. I spent, Amanda will remember this. I spent the first five years of my so-called ministry. Oh, laugh, a joke. My ministry. <laughs> Forget it. And for after five years in the Pentecostal ministry, I said, God, this isn't working. I'm out of here. I resign. I didn't write that to the elders because they might have taken me up on the offer, but I wrote it to God. I resign. And God said, finally. I said, what do you mean, finally? Well, I've been waiting for this a long time. You're resigning from your ministry. About time. Let me tell you. Die to your ministry, and I'll begin to show you my ministry. Now, after that, it got quite exciting. I found myself going to places I wouldn't ordinarily go, saying things I wouldn't ordinarily say, and God was in the house because I wasn't trying to assert my ministry. In fact, there's only one ministry. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and all we are is to flow, to go with the flow, bro. Amen. That's the ministry. Hallelujah. And what a release. I even now in saying that, I feel 15 years younger and I feel another five kilos lighter <laughs> just by remembering that the government is on his shoulders unless the Lord builds the house. They who build it are laboring in vain. Amen. Some plant, some sow, some water, but God compels life. God gives the increase. When we Give into his hands all that he's called us to do and to be, to have and to express. Suddenly, it is now no longer human rules that apply, human effort, my own strength, my own courage, my own ingenuity, my own ability, my own motivation. Suddenly, all of that is gone. And in place of that, we have supernatural strength, supernatural authority, supernatural joy. I thank, thank God and thank you, the people who have been praying for me. Because I shared with you that I went through a time of, of uh, chronic fatigue. It was just quite unlike me. I could only work about 20 hours a day, not usual 24 hours. I was so tired. And this week, you know, it's been getting stronger and stronger. And up, I'm there, walking up the hill, taking, you know, just half the times before. And I said, thank you, Jesus, for giving me my strength back. Stop, stop. He said, I haven't done that. This is, these conversations are quite rare, but they're as real as I'm talking to you. And it isn't like every day, but I heard so clearly. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, I haven't given you your old strength back. I've given you an entirely new strength. One that you have never known before. And maybe to go into that new level, I had to come to the end of myself and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to go on. You're going to have to do something for me. And you've been praying. And the verse you've been praying is, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise with wings as eagles. They shall run and not weary and walk and not faint. Supernatural. When it's in your hands, it's your ability. But when it's in God's hands, he releases supernatural ability. So stop controlling. Don't try and possess it. Give it to Jesus. Don't control it. Let him take over. Third test that he had and passed, as you can see, is the identity test. This is so interesting because you can imagine how Abraham now, aged Abraham, if my calculations are right, he's about 125, 130 years of age, if, if, if my theory is correct. Certainly over 100 years old. He'd waited all those years. He was 99 years of age. I mean, you know, eight, wait to be 100. If I live to be 100, this is what I'm going to see. He saw it. And that was it. Everything now was about that little boy, that little baby, that little boy. He nurtured the relationship. All hopes and dreams are in you. Isaac, you, you're a special child. And somehow, Abraham's purpose in life could have so easily been tied up with this physical relationship of father and son. It could be that Isaac had become the source of Abraham's identity. And that is the most dangerous thing of all. Your identity is not bound up with what you have, but what you give away. Your purpose is not in what you control, but what you hand over to his control. And your identity is not in who you are and what you can do, but it is giving up and dying to self so that the resurrection power of Christ can work in your life. You are, you are who you are not by what you possess, but by what you yield to God. When you do this, it shows that your identity, self-consciously, is not bound up in your own plans according to worldly, selfish agendas. But it shows that your identity is bound up in God and His Christ in the theme of the gospel. Christ's death, resurrection. That's where identity lies. We're in Christ. And when we yield to him, that death resurrection principle operates. And when we do that also, we begin to live the cross. That's a disciple. Somebody who's surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. Who says, not my will, but your will be done. Who says, it's not my life that I am seeking to fulfill, but I'm seeking to please and honor you and fulfill the you who you've made me to be. My true self is in Christ. And when a person who is that yielded, it's almost difficult to describe because it's so rare to the human eyes. A person who is totally yielded 
looks at life so differently. Even the redresses of life, the tragedies of life. You say, well, that's not a, that's not a sacrifice if, if I've been robbed and circumstances have removed blessing from me. And, and you say, no, but you see, how you respond to it is your sacrifice. If you say, God, I don't understand, but I bring it to you and I trust you. There are many things that we don't understand. And it doesn't fit in with simplistic faith, doctrine, preaching, happy, clappy, smile at every problem away. Put another 10 bucks in the offering and get a few more blessings. We know that's not how it works. There are things that we are probably going to have to wait till we get to heaven to say, show me, Lord. Why? But in the meantime, when we're yielded and consecrated, God can take it and multiply it back to us. That's what happened to Miles as we were talking and Bruce was giving the announcement. Miles is coming on Thursday. He went blind. And he could, that could have been the end of this, end of all my dreams, all my hopes, but no, it became the occasion because he put it in the hands of Jesus. It became the occasion through which God could manifest his glory. When you can't get a miracle, become a miracle. That's the words of Nick Vujicic. The man was born without arms and legs. When you can't get a miracle, become a miracle. By offering your life, your circumstances, your pain, your, your hopes, the good things, the bad things. Put it all on the altar. And then you will begin to live the cross and demonstrate it to the world. And they will see the Lordship of Jesus operating in your life. So an unsacrificed ambition or possession or relationship keeps it in the realm of the humanly possible. But when you sacrifice it, give it up to God... And place it in his hands, it becomes in his hands the opportunity, the release of supernatural power. Like that little boy's packed lunch. Remember? Five loaves and few fish. But in the hands of Jesus, offered to him, it was multiplied thousands of times over. That's why when God saw Abraham come to the end of his life, the end of this test, and say, Abraham, now I know that you love me. Now I know that you're my friend. No wonder they called him the friend of God. Now I know that you will obey me in everything. Therefore, because you have obeyed me, I will bless you in blessing and multiply blessing. And I will give you whatever I have promised to give you. And I'll give it to you over and over and over again. And every plan and purpose that I dreamed of concerning you shall be fulfilled because you have not withheld your only son. And in the same way, that because... God the Father refused to withhold his only son, but gave him up for us all freely. Because of that sacrifice, 
we can receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And that's what it means to be a real believer, to put your faith and trust in the crucified, resurrected Lord. And what it means to be a disciple is to continue walking in that direction, taking up your cross, sacrificing. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What is it in your life today that the Holy Spirit has put his finger on? What is it? It might just be one thing, and it might be something that you haven't meditated about or thought about, just suddenly surprising. And the Holy Spirit is showing you that there's a relationship that needs to be yielded to God, to put into his hands completely. Maybe it is a problem or a struggle. Maybe it's a, it's a massive issue, and you're trying to work it out and sort it out, and you've come to an end of yourself. God says, you've done everything else, but now it's the time to hand it over to me. Lay it as a sacrifice. It could be that you realize through today's teaching and preaching, there are many things in your life that you're holding on to because you don't think it's really important to be spiritual about it. Possessions, houses, all kinds of things. Now God says, you know that this belongs to me. And you're living and behaving as if it belongs to you. And that difference where we have no possessions and we hold everything lightly and all that we, we consider to be important to us is yielded, laying down at the feet of Jesus and say, have your way, Lord. Then it becomes supernatural. Where is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? What's he talking to you about? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a ministry? And you think you're being a good steward and not. You're restricting the Holy Spirit because you are so idolatrous in your relationship with that which you think you possess. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and lives today. If today's word has spoken to you in some way, I'd like you to stand very clear. If this is, because I want to pray for you in your situation. If, if God has spoken to you about something specific, please stand to your feet right now. All over this place. Please stand to your feet right now. I want to pray for you. You never lose what you lay on the altar. Never. God's promises only work through the cross, the place of sacrifice. That one sacrifice has been made once for all, no need, no need now for another sacrifice like that. But when we follow the crucified Lord, we're to carry the marks of his body in our hands and our life. Identification with the death of Jesus, and it's not morbid because we know that through death comes life. When we die to ourselves, we can live to God and God can live in us and through us. So much fruitfulness will burst forth from this house if we learn this lesson. So much fruitfulness and multiplication in every area of your life. Your cell will grow 
and grow and multiply. Your family will prosper and, bl and be blessed. Your place of work yielded to God will become a, a holy sacrifice, a holy altar of His presence, and you will advance, and God's flow will be with you because you say, God, I understand this spiritual principle. I need to lay it down. What does He call you to lay down today? Do it right now. Lay down your life. My life belongs not to me, Lord. You have bought it, purchased it. You've redeemed me. And today, I acknowledge that. Here I am, Lord. Help yourself. I step onto the altar. Sacrifice. Willing, loving, living sacrifice. Fill me with your spirit. Father, I pray as we lay down our lives today that you take up the sacrifice. Whether it is something that in our lives that we shouldn't be doing, that we're doing, we lay it down. Give it to you. Whether it's something in our lives that we're holding on to, we shouldn't be. Even if it's a good thing, we're turning it into an idol, we lay it down. And we say, Lord, it is only you. For all things were created by him and through him and for him. He is above and before all things. And by him, all things are held together. Now multiply back, Father, through the spiritual principle of dying and bearing fruit, multiplication. In the name of Jesus, I bless the people of God. May God bless you. May God prosper you. May God keep you. May God sustain you and give you his peace in jesus name amen amen give jesus a big praise